Amen. If you have God's word, I want to invite you to turn to James chapter one and uh, just take a moment and uh, allow you to get your instrument out or the Bible and just turn there to James chapter one. And we're going to be looking together at verses one through four. And, and we're launching a new series called I Faith. It'll go on for a few Sundays, I think about three Sundays. And it's interesting when we come to the book of James. I mean, it's such it's such a wonderful text because it seems like if anybody gets it in the Bible, I mean, you know, the Apostle Paul, he gets it. I mean, I mean, what a rich teaching in so many of our, you know, of the letters that we read, the epistles we read are, are from, of course, the Apostle Paul. And and wow, what what learning we can do under Paul. But James, it seems like he just gets it because he kind of knows that we're going to go through difficulties in life. I mean, it's so relevant, so real. James is kind of real. And he knows that we're going to go through difficulties and trials and tribulations. And then he gives us a whole lot in regards to how do we go through those trials and tribulations. And I could say, well, raise your hand if you walked in a dark valley ever before in all of your life. If you've ever been, you know, through a trial or, you know, we'd all raise our hands. No question about that. I mean, James has a way of dealing with that. In fact, just follow along as we begin to read here. And, and of course, verse one is a little formal uh, because he's trying to get the word out. And then we get a little bit more serious there in verses two, three and four. So follow with me as we look at the passage this morning. Again, James chapter one, beginning there, verse one, James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. Consider pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Now, right out of the starting gate, that's an interesting idea that that we're going to have this kind of attitude about when about life, when we face difficult times and we're facing trials, we're going to say, "Okay, this is this is going to be faced with an attitude of joy. I mean, I love being positive. I think I'm kind of a positive guy. I think I have a positive you know, outlook on life. But, man, I'm telling you, sometimes when we get when we get hit and we're knocked sideways and maybe things don't work out the way that we plan. I mean, it's hard to always have a positive attitude. Anybody agree with me this morning? I mean, it is a challenge sometimes. And I think James, he gets this. He gets it. And and yet in the midst of that, again, he's teaching. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kind, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. I, I wrestled and I was a part of a wrestling team. We were state champions three years in a row, my sophomore, junior and senior year. And uh, Coach Lane, I mean, he, he talked about perseverance. In fact, he kind of drove it in us. He, he, he would, you know, he'd push us to the very limit until we'd faint out on the mat sometimes. Or sometimes he'd have us gather in the sauna. You know, the hot sauna? It's like, a, what is it, 210 degrees in there? And, and he'd stoke that thing up and push in about 30 or 40 of us. And pretty soon some of us would start fainting out and they'd drag us out of the sauna. I mean, you couldn't get away with that today. That would be like against the law. But anyhow, he pushed us to the very limits because he was trying to teach us that sometimes in life you have to persevere. You have to push through. When you hit the wall, you have to go beyond the wall and you have to push through that. And so he's trying to get that kind of you know, idea in our head here that, that sometimes it's, there's a time to persevere. And, and then he says, let perseverance finish its work. This is verse 4. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete not lacking anything. Precious Father in heaven, I thank you for the word this morning. I thank you, Father, that you're a good, good Father. And that, Lord, in the midst of whatever it is that we're going through, however dark the valley is, that, Lord, that you are there 
that you are a God that has our best interest at heart. And, and it's possible that there's some here this morning that are having a hard time believing that. That you have our best interest at heart when we go through difficult times. So, Father, I pray that you would just speak right now. I pray that you'd speak into, Lord, this sanctuary and to that life this morning that needs to hear your voice. We thank you for that. We thank you, God, for the word. We pray your anointing and your blessing on it. We ask this in Jesus Christ's glorious name. Amen. Now, it's interesting as we go through the challenges and trials in life. And again, we're talking about I faith. And, and today is really about negotiating with God. Because it seems like that's what we do. And maybe, you know, we're not setting out to do that. But sometimes we start this process where we're kind of negotiating with God. And we say, okay, God, if, you know, help me with this. I really do need your help. And if you help me with this, you know, then I'll do this. Or, you know, God, help me with my kids. You know how you kind of fall into that trap sometimes. You help me with my kids and then, oh, God, you know, then I'll, I'll, I'll do this and I'll respond this way. And sometimes even those maybe that are outside of the church, they might say, okay, God. You know, one day I will take you serious. One day I will get serious about God. I, I cannot tell you how many times I've visited with somebody and I shared my faith with them. And I, I talked about Jesus for a little bit and I can see the wheels were turning in their head. And, and then the responses as they are thinking about the truth of what I'm saying, the responses. Well, Pastor, I will let you know, I promise you, I promise, Pastor, one day I will get serious about God. And so it's this kind of unofficial negotiation that's happening. Well, uh, we may think that God is being shaped by our, our, you know, by our, our conversation with him, our negotiating, or that, that we are bending God our way. You know, we're kind of, you know, informing him, so to speak. And this is the idea of process theology in the last decade or so. This idea of process theology has been presented and put forth in the idea that, that God can be influenced. And the idea, of course, the question that's asked to embrace that theology is, um, is God influenced by our prayers? I mean, if he's not influenced by our prayers, then why pray? I mean, I understand the line of thought and the logic behind it. That this idea that maybe it's our prayers and the times or cultures kind of shaping God. But you see, I'm kind of of the school that really it's more that God is waiting on us. He's waiting on us to move towards him and, and he's waiting on us to respond to the plan that he already has shaped and created on, on our behalf. And this is why James starts out by saying, consider pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials or meet trials of, of many kinds or various kinds. You know, James can see that even those trials are drawing us towards God, shaping our lives and improving the trajectory of our life. And the very reason we then go to the next few verses after verse one, three and four there is giving us this idea that faith testing experiences. That's the phrase I want to use this morning, that faith testing experiences produce a much needed steadfastness in our spiritual life. Now, I don't know about you, but I know that sometimes, you know, sometimes I, I'm saying, God, I need I need some steadfastness in my life. I, I need to, to know what it means to be steadfast in the midst of whatever trial that that I'm going to face or hardship that I'm going through. And I and I, I need to say I, I don't have this in my notes, but I, I think about my daughter, Courtney, who's a special needs adult now. She's 31 and she has multiple different syndromes. And man, I cannot communicate to you the experiences that my wife 
and I have had in, in raising Courtney and how many times I felt like the, the earth was moving underneath our feet and we were not going to be able to stand. And how we hungered for steadfastness, spiritual steadfastness, when our faith was failing us. And I, I don't know about you, but I think that what James is getting at is that there, there should be a hunger to have spiritual steadfastness in our life and that we're not going to let the waves and the wind, James talks about that later on, the waves and the winds just push us to and fro. So that we learn to have such a faith, such a banner-like faith, that we are steadfast in the midst of the trial and the tribulation that we're going through as a believer. And, and he's, he's teaching us about this. Here, here James the Just, as he's called sometimes, James the Just is, is working in our text, if we kind of pan back a little bit, and we look at the big picture, you know, the overall text, not just these few verses, but he's working on the primary theme in the book of James of living out one's faith. I mean, that, that's relevant. Because if you do some research, you realize and you learn that he was speaking to or teaching uh, into a... A polarized society. Does that sound familiar this morning? A polarized culture in which people were, were pulling from all directions and, and really that there was spiritual conflict that was happening. There, there were these factions in the church. In fact, you know, the picture that we have as we study, we find that most likely is writing to Jewish Christian house churches that were outside of Palestine. And so you had these groups all over without the communication level that we have today. You can imagine the different factions that were pulling and yanking at the theology that Christ had left us. And so James is trying to teach through that. And in that, that he, he's giving the, the bulk of his, his work in, in trying to communicate that the key, I mean, if we want, you know, we want steadiness in life, he's saying get right with God. If you want to be steady in your spiritual walk, get right with God and rebuke worldliness. That's part of, you know, having steadiness, spiritual steadiness in life is that we rebuke worldliness. We rebuke what the world is trying to say, what the world is teaching us, how the world is feeding into our our thought, whether it's media or maybe the culture, our friends, what have you. And he's saying reject worldliness. Did I say that already? Reject worldliness so that we are listening to the truth that God gives us, of course, that Jesus exemplifies for us. I mean, that's who we're following. That's the example. It's Jesus Christ. And so now James is trying to bring it home By talking about how one lives out their faith in this polarized society, in midst, you know, factions in the church and and spiritual conflict, you know, just really getting it right with God. Talks about divine wisdom then. He kind of, he kind of spins on that for a bit, talking about, you know, how important it's not, you know, man's wisdom that we are following. It's divine wisdom, wisdom that comes from God. I mean, that's again, that's part of the big picture that we see when we pan back just a little. You would glance at this and say, well, it looks like wisdom literature. I mean, it does, because it's like he's saying, okay, do this and don't do this. And he gives you kind of these these ideas. But really what he's doing is getting down to the nitty gritty of faith. I mean, how do we live out our faith? How does one live that faith out in life, in the everyday? And, and you know, let me say this. It can be painful. Because if God is shaping us, you know, in our faith and there's the trials and the testing that we go through, sometimes it it can hurt because he tests us. 
In fact, in the series that we're doing right now, we're going to talk about two different types of faith. And this morning, I'm touching on one type of faith. And then next Sunday, I'm going to touch on another type of faith. So you do not want to miss next Sunday because we're going to talk about the other that this uh, James alludes to. And so this morning, though, the, the first type of faith that I want to mention that James touches on is testing faith. Say that with me out loud. Testing faith. So, so the question, I mean, in my mind, I think it's legitimate, it's relevant for us. How do we remain steadfast in our faith even though? I, I mean, how, how do we keep the faith when it's not working or it's not feeling right or the results are not what we're, you know, expecting to them and, and to be? And, 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 you know, life is kind of knocked to sideways. How do we keep our faith when that's happening? When it seems like it's just not working having faith. Or we're having faith in their silence from God. And in the midst of that God silence, we're wondering, man, what good is my faith doing? But like Oswald Chambers says, it's, it's in the silence of God that probably the real lesson is being learned. And we learn that we are resting even in the silence of God. And in that rest, God is beginning to move us and shape us in ways. And by the way, the silence may be God's answer to the prayers that we've been praying. And maybe there's a frustration level there with that. But but understand that that God may be answering, you know, even while he is even while he's being being silent. Amen. Maybe maybe you're, you're thinking this question in your mind as I'm talking about, you know, being tested. Does my entire life have to be a test of faith? I don't know. Maybe you've you've breathed that. Or you've thought that while you're praying, Lord, does my entire life have to be a test of my faith? Because it's like when you decide to do something and it just never turns out. And you decide, okay, I'm going to live in faith or I'm going to do this. And you try it and you try it and then you fail. And then it's okay. You pick yourself up and you try it again and you try it again. And then you fail again. And the cycle completes. In fact, it happens so many times you get to a place where you just feel like you don't want to try anymore. Why even try to have faith, you know, at this point? Because it seems like that every time I try, you know, I'm just, I'm just, you know, coming up short or I'm failing. I mean, how do we remain steadfast? You see, back to that base idea there, steadfast when, it, when it's one hurricane after another, thinking about the hurricane as we watched it on TV this last week. How do we remain steadfast in our faith? God's working. But then the world says, oh, yeah, if God's working, why did this happen? Or oh, why has this happened? And man, they call you on the carpet right there. And, and so how do we have faith when it's hurricane after hurricane or one devastating storm after another? And maybe the storm comes in the form of something happening in your family or maybe it's brokenness or maybe it's finances swirling above your head like a great tornado sucking all of your energy and all of your efforts and your finances, you know, up there somewhere in that stratosphere, and you're wondering, how am I going to make it through this? I, I don't know if that, that relates to you at all, but maybe it's your past, your past that, that just keeps coming up. I don't know, but there's some ideas I want to share with you this morning, really two of them. And here is the first one I believe that we can see in our text here. One is that testing faith is God's refining process for the believer. Let me say it again. Testing faith is God's refining process for the believer. And we look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7. 
And I want to read that for you because this is so perfect for, for this whole testing faith idea that, that we are being tested for a reason. Here it is. First Peter chapter one, looking at verse seven. These trials will show that your faith, and my, my translation will probably be a little bit different than what's up there. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. Think about that. I mean, what that means. What an interesting, you know, first sentence. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. So we have this idea of a gold refining process. And and the idea of the process is that it brings out the very best, right? I mean, it's the idea that in the, the, the heat and the fire, the process begins to remove the impurities and the impurities, I guess, float to the surface. I've seen it on video, I think, where then they, they pull off the sludge and in the refinement process, then what we have, we have something that is good and something that is pure. And so we understand that in this process of refinement, God's process for refinement in the believer's life is that God is bringing something out that is the very best something of you of yourself, the very best of your faith as you're being refined in the process of your challenge, your trial or tribulation. And we learn that in that, in that our steadfast spirit will always and continually to be tested and tempted. There's no question. It's going to it's a part of life and maybe it's just maybe discouraging days that you've had. But remember this, that in that testing, in the tempting, that's the beginning. That's where God begins his refining process in you. And, you know, the temptation, I think, is is really to quit. I mean, I don't I don't know where your spiritual walk is right now, what you've been through. And maybe you're just kind of in a rhythm but I know that the temptation sometimes when you face difficult times, I know this believer, I know this as well as I know the back of my hand, that there is this temptation to just quit. An enemy would love that. I, I love the story um, of one of the biggest boxing matches of the 20th century that took place on November 25th, 1980. I remember that match, by the way. At the Superdome in New Orleans, Louisiana, it was a rematch between Sugar Ray Leonard and Roberto Duran. Duran had won the previous fight and was the favorite the second time around. He had a record of 72 wins and just one loss, and he had won his last 41 fights. This is some winning streak. The rematch was a close fight. Only a point or two separated the two fighters on the judges' scoreboards. But when something unthinkable happened in the eighth round The one unexpected thing that rocked the boxing world. Roberto Duran turned to the referee and spoke two words. He said, no mas, no more. (laughs) He quit. He, he wasn't injured, he, he wasn't cut, he was frustrated, and he had had enough. And here's a fighter who was one of the best to have ever stepped in the ring. He won a total of 103 fights in his career. But when anyone mentions his name today, the first thing that comes to mind, it's not all of the victories. You know what the first thing that comes to mind when people talk about him? Yeah, that he quit. You see, the enemy wants you to quit. The enemy wants you to throw in the towel. He wants you to slap the mat and say no more as you're going through that, that, that challenge and that, that tribulation or whatever it is. And this sounds a little cliche, but let me say it anyhow. When you come to the end of yourself, that is where God's work really begins. Amen. 
That's where God begins the process and our heart and the work begins. And, and, and faith is a work. I need to say it like this. Faith is a work in us that God is doing on us. That God is doing on us for his glory. The refining process means that the better part of life, of living, of, of your life, it's on its way. It's in front of you. Because in the process, God is creating his image in you as you're being tested and tried by the fire. Amen. Someone once said that faith is not necessarily what makes sense, nor is it common sense. It's, it's the divining, dividing point between man's wisdom and, and God's insight. So, so folks, I guess what I'm saying, there, there are people that's going to say, hey, it makes no sense. Hey, you need to throw in the towel. Hey, you know, why are you even trying to do this Christian thing? And the enemy is going to try to speak into you, even through the voices of those that are around you, to try to discourage you and get you to give up. But ladies and gentlemen, remember, faith is when you're down and God begins to pick you up. And that's the beginning place where God begins to work in your life. Amen. You see, faith must be tested to bear the fruit of refinement in Christ. Steadfastness in faith proves your absolute trust in God, I, I believe that. And that shows us then the second idea that I want to share with you. Here's the second idea. If you're filling in the blanks. Number two, testing faith teaches us the humility of Christ and him crucified. The humility of Christ. And there's something there is something about humility. In fact, go to first Corinthians chapter two, looking at uh, verses one through four with me. Let's read God's word together this morning. Go to first Corinthians chapter two. Thinking about testing faith and, of course, uh, Christ's example, his humility uh, that he shows us in, in his challenges. So we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. Another place he talks about eloquent speech. And so it's not about myself. That's what Paul is saying here. It's not about myself. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Think of that. Except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of of God. So what kind of faith is this? This is a faith that rests in the power of God, not not in man's wisdom, not in my understanding, not in how I process, process things. But I recognize that when I'm trying to figure it out and I'm trying to come up with the answer, that my answers often fall short. I really don't have the best answer. I find that the answer comes to me when I rest in the, the sweet arms of Jesus, so to speak. And I, I rest in the power of God and his Holy Spirit, you know, working in me and working through me. Amen. So faith, it's a faith, tested faith, is a faith that rests in the power of God is what this passage is saying. A testing faith that is steeped in the heat and the pressures of life, but it's also steeped in, in the humility that Christ shows us. I mean, if we're to be like Christ, so we have humility like Christ. I, I heard somebody recently say that there's something that is attractive. This was interesting. There's something that is attractive about humility, something that is appealing about humility. And we see that kind of humility in Christ, you know, as he submits himself, even in anguish, he submits himself, you know, to Calvary. And as he responds to those that were 
you know, competing with him or trying to challenge him. You think about the Pharisees. And, and there's something that's so appealing about Christ and his humble spirit that there is this tremendous strength that comes out of that humility. And it's interesting because, you see, it's the trials of our faith that bring us to that place. It's the trials of our our faith that bring us and allow us to understand that kind of humility, even as we are hurting, even as the trials cause pain, we realize that God is loving us and working in us, his great plan, his image in us, even through that hurting. We've got to recognize that. I was moved when I came across a story of this little boy named David, about two and a half years old. Um... He, he had leukemia. He was taken by his mother, her name's Deborah, to Massachusetts General Hospital in Boston to see Dr. John Truman, a Dr. John Truman who specializes in treating children with cancer and various blood treatments. Dr. Truman's prognosis was devastating. He told David's mother that he had a 50-50 chance. And, and the reality was what came next, you know, was so difficult for a mother because sometimes it's harder on, you know, the loved one that's watching somebody go through such a difficult time as it was that mother as she's trying to, wanting to bear the pain of her little boy as he went into the clinic and he was, he was you know, pricked and he was poked and he was hurt in so many different ways and ended up crying. He was a remarkable boy. She tells a story where he would go to the hospital in the waiting room. He had a positive attitude. In fact, he would jump up and run back in when they called his name and run back in the back, you know, to the, the room there uh, ahead of her, always going to get a, a welcome greeting from the staff and the nurses. She says she'll never forget when they, they were told that they were going to have to do a spinal tap. And, and Deborah, mom, tried to kind of prepare him for that because it's a very painful process. And so he jumps up, runs in the back, and the nurse knelt down and explained to David, little David, that, you know, the doctor's going to do something, David, and it's going to be hard and it's going to be painful and he's probably going to hurt you, but he's going to do that because he loves you. And so what happened is it took like three nurses and the mom to hold him down to keep him still as he went through that horrific experience of the spinal tap. And so, you know, of course, he made it through that with screaming and crying and pulling and tugging. And then afterwards, when he was covered in sweat and tears, whimpering, he looked up the doctor. He looked up at the doctor and he just kind of let it out. He said, doctor, thank you for hurting me. I'm wondering if we could get there in regards to how God is working in our life. That that maybe the trial that you're facing right now, you're, you're going, what in the world is happening? Because it hurts. Or we don't like it. Or we're uncomfortable. And we can say, Father in heaven, I don't know what you're doing. Remember, God is sovereign. But in that sovereignty, we can rest and say, God... Thank you for hurting me because I'm going to trust you no matter what you're doing, no matter how you're working and shaping me, Lord, as you're working in my life. And I believe that God can be glorified in that as we understand that in our trials that God is shaping us and understand that God has our best interest at heart and we can worship him. We can sing as we gathered this morning. I love that. We can sing that he's a good, good father. We can sing that and believe that he is a good, good father. And even though, even though he's a good, good father, even though he's a good, good father. And maybe it's somebody back there, even though 
he's a good, good father. God is worthy of our worship this morning, our praise. I'm going to have the band come and, and the worship leaders just come and just prepare our hearts for this very pulpit chorus as we just reflect upon the goodness of our Father in heaven that God might be working in the midst of the dark valley that you're walking in today and we can lean into his arms and say, God, thank you for being the good Father that you are. Folks, I, I'm telling you the darkest time in my life, my wife and I, not only leaning on each other and holding each other and crying sometimes, we've had moments like that. But we always come back to a Father in heaven that loves us more than we can ever imagine. A Father that is good and a Father that cares and a Father that wants to put His arms around you. He wants to embrace you no matter what you're going through. In fact, let's bow our heads for just a moment before we begin to sing. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. And I, I want to invite you to just, just take a moment right now and pray. And say, Father, I, I need faith today. Lord, I need help with this this morning. You know what I'm facing. You know what I'm walking through right now. And, and maybe something you've got to walk through is coming. And you're going to say, Lord, today, Lord, I need your help. Or maybe you've just kind of been, it's been a long, dry spell. And you're saying, Father, I need faith this morning. Lord, give me faith today, right now. He's a good Father. He wants to give you that kind of faith. He wants to help you walk through that trial, church, whatever it might be. He wants to just walk with you, take you by the hand, and just be that good Father. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, just begin to pray right now. Just allow God to refresh your spirit, your soul right now as he fills you. And say, Father, I need faith this morning. I need you to, to fill me right now, Father, with your spirit because I need faith. You know what I'm dealing with, Father. God, you know what I'm, I'm facing. And Lord, I just pray that you'd give me faith as I walk through this, this experience right now. You know what it is. Trust him this morning. Trust him. Pray that way. Just go ahead. Pray freely between you and the Lord right now. Say, Father, help me right now, Jesus. I need this faith. You're praying that way. Just take a moment and lift your hand. I want to pray for you privately. God bless you, several of you. God bless you. If you're praying that way, just lift your hand. I want to pray for you. God bless you. Several of you, God bless you. God bless you. I'm going to be lifting you up in my private prayer time, lifting up this congregation. Anybody else is saying, Lord, I need strength today. I need faith today. Father, you know, you know what I need right now, Father. Wash over me. Feed me right now, Father. Lift me, Father. Thank you, God, for doing that. Father in heaven, we just love you so much. I thank you, God, for your goodness. Thank you, Father, that you are ministering, you're working together something, a beautiful plan for that person right now. They know who they are. They just lift in their hand, Father, I need faith. I worship you today. No matter how dark the valley is, I worship you. I thank you, God, for this trial and this tribulation. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.